the villain shows eight of diamonds, nine of spades for quads to beat my boat. There's just too many combinations with an eight that call me pre-flop and smooth call the flop and turn here. In the, in the moment, there's no way I'm folding this. Uh, but as I sit back and think about it, I really don't see the villain making a bluff or making a play here. What hands that I beat would call the river. Non-aggressive pot control type action is, is probably the way to go. So in this spot, I would either check or bet bigger. Well, greetings, everybody. This is Steve Fredland, welcoming you once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. We are officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. In addition to our recreational contributors, which this week include Doug Behrens, Taylor Moss, Rob Washam, and Steve Olson, we also have input from Jonathan Little with PokerCoaching.com. Quick announcements, as always, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a comment. Uh, if you have other feedback on this episode or other episodes, or if you have suggestions for topics, hand situations, get in touch with me on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we have Rec Poker uh, Facebook group. We have at Rec Poker Twitter. Or you can just email me, stevefredland at gmail.com. Now, today is the first of two hands that were submitted by recreational player Doug Behrens. Um, and as always, with these, consider the actions that people would take, but even more so, listen for the underwriting principles. It's impossible to memorize what to do in every situation, which is why understanding the principles and what elements to prioritize helps us lead to better decisions and helps us sort of build a framework and principles for ourselves because like in the past few episodes, we've understood now that uh, different players, even different professional players, have different paradigms. And so you have to figure out what works for you uh, and how you like to play the game, your style, your personality, and it all needs to really work together uh, as an overall strategy. So with that, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with the situation. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Okay, so the situation this week, Doug Barron's actually sent us an audio clip uh, setting up the situation that he encountered. And then after you hear from Doug, you're going to hear my thoughts. You'll hear thoughts from other recreational players, Taylor Moss, Steve Olson, Rob Washam, and then uh, you'll hear expert uh, <laughs> input from Jonathan Little. Hi, Steve. I thought I would submit two hands for comment from the rec poker crowd. Of course, I had my reasons for how I played each hand, but afterwards I wonder if I should have had a better decision framework. These hands are uh, from uh, day 1A of the... Uh, Aces Avalanche Tournament. Uh, during level six of day one, um, uh, and they played 12 levels on day one, I had 58,000 in chips. The average is about 24,000. Blinds were 50, 200, and 400. Uh, my table image would have been tight aggressive, uh, and the table was generally very tight aggressive. Um, I'm playing against a, a villain who had just come to the table. 
uh, with a fresh stack. Uh, everybody seemed to know him except me. Uh, and he plays uh, some big hands real early and was in quite a few hands real early and had gotten his chip stacks up to about 65,000. He and I were the top two chip stacks. Uh, from the hijack, I raise 1,100 with king of spades, queen of clubs. And the villain calls behind uh, from um, the button, and the big button calls. Um, we flop an eight of spades, eight of clubs, queen of hearts. Big blind checks, I bet 1,800. The villain smooth calls, um, and the big blind folds. Uh, the turn clumps an eight of hearts. I now, of course, have the boat. Uh, and I bet 3,000 and the villain calls. Uh, the river comes three of diamonds. I bet 6,000. The villain raises to 16,000. I call. The villain shows eight of diamonds, nine of spades for quads to beat my boat. Anyways, you know, you always wonder whether you're running into quads or whether he had a pair of aces, kings, uh, or queens, I guess, to beat me. Um, but it seemed like I played it reasonably. I didn't get my whole stack in there. I didn't lose my whole stack, but I lost half of it. Uh, and just wondering how other people would have played that. Okay, thanks, Doug. Well, we are off to a nice start in this tournament. We have a stack that is still about 145 big blinds deep, which is fantastic. Uh, we have a nice table image and certainly would expect the table to fear us both for our tag style and our big stack. So opening from the hijack here with king-queen offsuit is certainly a reasonable play when it's folded around to us and I do like the sizing of about two and a half times. When the villain calls who's a lag, I would expect them to be pretty wide here with any sort of small to mid pair uh, because I would expect them to three bet with tens or better. So I'd say they're probably on uh, nines or lower if they have a pair. Uh, they could also have any two big cards excluding probably ace-king. I would expect them to three bet with that Maybe ace-queen as well, but a lot of players do like to just float with ace-queen uh, instead of uh, uh, floating, um, bloating the pot, I guess. So uh, as far as big cards, I'd say ace-queen, ace-jack, ace-ten, king-queen, king-jack, and queen-jack. There might be some, uh, some king-ten, queen-ten, jack-ten combos in here, but I think that's a little bit wider than what they would do against us and our stack. Um, and also, I think they could have any suited connectors or gappers here, probably anything 6-4 suited and better. So I think they're pretty wide here. Part of that is I think they, uh, they're in position so they may decide to float and try to steal later, but they're also a lag so they're loose aggressive. They're going to play more pots than, uh, than a tag would. Uh, and so I think they're just going to play and see what happens on the flop here, see what we tend to do um, and react from that. So I think their range is pretty wide here. Now the big blind calling could probably be assigned generally the same range as the button. I would tend to make them tighter because of their poor geographic position on the table. Uh, in other words, they'll be first to act on, on every street. But I do loosen up their range a bit uh, for a couple of reasons. One is for their relative position to the power uh, which I have. So what I mean by that is because I am the raiser preflop, uh, I will generally take control of the hand after the flop which means I'll act first, uh, generally uh, in the aggressive nature, followed then by the button, and then now the blinds um, has the, has the uh, 
relative position uh, in terms of acting last relative to my action. So that's one reason. The other one is they only need to call 700 instead of uh, the full 1100. Uh, and they're calling 700 into a pot of 3300. So I'm gonna generally make them wider for that range. So I think the same general range is appropriate for the blind here. Um, and we'll work on ranging them further depending on what their action is on the flop. Anyway, we like this flop, a queen eight eight rainbow with our king queen offsuits. Now we have top pair with the king kicker and we've actually flopped two pair with, with, with the uh, two eights on the board. Now I do think that this would be a good flop to continuation bet uh, whether we hit or not. We want hands like ace-jack and those sorts of hands to fold. Um, with a pot of 4,000, I think 1,800 is a reasonable flop size bet as well. The villain calls from the button and the big blind folds. So now we have to really consider what the villain is doing and what their range is. All right. So we have a few questions to ask us. And again, a lot of this is stuff that we evaluate after and in the middle of it, I think it's a lot harder when you've got the emotion and the timing things. But as I look at this now, I would ask the question, is the villain capable of just floating us with complete air here? If that's true, it's much harder to put them on a range. Now, most people will not float with just complete air, especially against a tag who has a big stack. So if we assume that they have something uh, you know, they have either a made hand or they have a draw, then we have to think about what hands would they just call us with. Okay, so if we assume that they're not going to do this with air, they're going to fold all their air. Now we say, well, what hands are they going to call us with? Uh, well, let's start with what draws would they call us with? Now the board is not very wet, meaning that there's not many draws out there. It's a, it's a rainbow board, there's no flush draws. And the only straight draws would be gut shots with jack-10, jack-9, or 10-9. So those are potential hands that they might float us with. Another question that we'd have to ask is, would they call us with overs? Now the only hand that this would be, uh, which has two overs to the board, would be ace-king. And we think that they would have three-bet us pre-flop, so I don't think we are worried about those hands where there's just overs. Could they just call us with one over, ace-jack or ace-ten? I suppose it's possible, but I would have the tendency to discount these hands unless they really are a habitual floater. So uh, generally, most players, even legs, I think are going to fold ace-jack or ace-ten on this board because we showed preflop aggression, we continued. I mean, what are they ahead of unless we're really, uh, you know, have like ace-nine or ace-eight? Uh, but generally, I think they're going to credit us with a, with a hand that's better than ace-jack or ace-ten here. Um, so the next question is, what made hands could they call us with that didn't hit the board? Well, uh, made hands that didn't hit the board would have to be uh, the pairs that they have left. So we ruled out pocket tens and above pre-flop, and obviously pocket eights crushed the board. Uh, so that leaves us with pocket nines, and then pocket seven, sixes, fives, fours, threes, and two. So they could call us again there, uh, thinking that we just have two big cards that missed. Uh, and so those pairs are probably still in there. Um, finally, what made hands could they call us with that hit the board? Well, obviously those would be combinations of queens and eights. So the queen combinations that they might call us with uh, would be ace-queen, king-queen, queen-jack, queen-ten, and maybe queen-nine suited and maybe queen-eight suited if we think that they're fairly loose. We'd put suited gappers in there. Uh, if they're playing suited two gappers or three gappers, um, and then we'd have to include a queen eight. Uh, the other combinations with an eight in them would be suited, ten eight, nine eight, pocket eights, eight seven, and eight six. 
So we still have a lot of combinations of queens and eights that are probably just going to call us here. Um, but I guess, are, are any of these hands um, ones that they would raise with? Um, now I think they're, they're all hands that they could either call with or they could raise with. Now the only ones that I would probably expect them to raise with would be things like Queen Jack, Queen 10, or Queen 9. Um, so I think uh, those would be hands where they, they hit top pair but they're not loving it. Uh, so I could probably discount those a bit um, because I think they would raise there. So if they're just calling, uh, I kind of reduce the chance that they have those sort of worse queens than ours. Um, because they're pretty vulnerable there. Uh, I suppose they put potentially raise with those gut shots, the Jack-10, Jack-9, 10-9. Um, just depends on the kind of player. A lot of players might raise those gut shots uh, just to see where they're at. Uh, but I'm not going to rule those out at this point. So with all of that said, uh, it leaves me to a, a post-flop hand range for them as uh, hands that we are ahead of, which would be pairs um, below ours, pocket nines, and then sevens through twos, draws, the, the three gut shot combinations of jack-10, jack-9, and 10-9, uh, one hand that we tie, which is king-queen, and then there's a few hands that are well ahead of us, ace-queen, queen-eight, pocket-eights, and then 10-8, 9-8, and 8-6. So that's the general ranges that I've got them in now. Now on the turn comes another eight, giving us a full house with a board of 8-8-8-queen, and we bet again here, which I think is fine, I guess, but uh, I might be tempted to check for both pot control, but also to underrepresent my hand and to try to induce bluffs. Betting here tells our opponent basically we have pocket aces, pocket kings, or a queen. Um, you know, it allows them to play optimally against us. As it's played, we bet out and our opponent calls again. Uh, what do they call us with? <laughs> if they call us with a pair below a queen, um, they're really not believing us. I would not expect them to call but to raise here um, if they don't have a hand that beats us. So I take those hands now out of their range. So hands like 10 jack, uh, those sorts of hands, I don't think they would just call here because they're probably drawing dead. Um, so I think they would raise those. So a lot of those hands, those hands that don't beat us, I think they raise or fold. So just calling us, uh, I don't like this situation at all. They could have king queen like us um, but their worst queens now tie us also. So any queen now ties us. It's not about uh, a kicker issue. If they have ace queen, we got lucky and now we're tied with them. Uh, but the only other hands left in their range after they call us are, are hands like uh, queen eight, eight, eight uh, 10 eight, nine eight, eight seven, and eight six. And so other than queens that tie us, every other hand I think left in their range beats us when they just call on the turn. Again, if they raise here, maybe they're making a play, but I think just a call uh, is, is a hand that ties or beats us, that's it. So on the river, I would likely check. Uh, I may still call a river bet, just in case I didn't quite range them correctly and they just have a queen, uh, or you know they, they felt something like pocket nines was good. But I'd check to induce those bluffs when I'm ahead and also to pot control against those combinations of eights that are a big part of their remaining range. I would still lose a cooler here, but not quite as much. I could be losing value here from worse hands if it goes check, check, but I'm, I really don't think I'm going to get called by a worse hand. So uh, I'm trying to reduce a bit of variance in a very tough spot in what is already a pretty big pot. 
There's just too many combinations with an eight that call me pre-flop and smooth call the flop and turn here. So tough spot, Doug, kind of a cooler. Uh, I think there's there's a way to reduce the impact of the hand, but I think it's pretty tough to, uh, to just get away from that hand as well. So with that, uh, let's hear from Taylor, Rob, and Steve Olson. Greetings, Rec Poker listeners. This is Taylor Moss. Today we're discussing a hand from Doug Barons where he was playing in the Big Stack Avalanche Tournament. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar, I believe the Big Stack Avalanche is a $500 buy-in tournament. Uh, so I'm going to assume that we are playing against fairly competent players in this hand and give them the credit when uh, I'm unsure about what they might be doing. So we are halfway through day one. Uh, we play 12 levels and then go to day two. So we're on level six. Uh, we have an above average chip stack with 58,000 and the blinds are 500 ante with a 200 small blind, 400 big blind. Um, so we're in the hijack. It folds around to us and we have king queen offsuit. Uh, I think this is a very standard open. Uh, how much I would open to would depend on the table. Uh, so if everyone has been raising to, you know, between two and a half and three X, as we do in this hand, uh, raising to 1100 is totally fine. Uh, then we have, uh, our villain who's on the button calls as well as the big blind. Um, so the villain, we're, uh, labeling them as a lag player. So they're going to be loose, but aggressive. Uh, and the big blind we say is tag. Um, so tight and aggressive. They both call. <clears throat> that should uh, put us in a fairly decent spot. Someone might be calling with a weak ace, um, but very likely that we could be up against some sort of suited connectors, uh, small to medium pocket pairs, uh, something along those nature. So that's kind of what I'm loosely labeling as our opponent's range. Uh, so on the flop, we see a rainbow, uh, but it's 8-8 eight, eight queen. So we had a uh, top pair, uh, but there is a possibility of trips. And the big blind checks, we decide to bet 1800 uh, I think that's a very standard bet here. Um, given it's three-handed, we can go a little bit smaller and accomplish uh, probably the same thing uh, because our villain on the button is going to be in a tough spot uh, knowing that the big blind is going to be calling behind. So they can't really call light here. Um, and the big blind very likely just has a weak hand here that's going to be folding so we could bet to you know like 1200 or so essentially the same bet that we had pre-flop and should be able to accomplish the same thing so betting small here isn't that bad i'm fine with the 1800 chip bet so with the 1800 chip bet the villain decides to call and the big blind folds um so that makes me think the villain has some sort of hand uh any sort of small to medium pocket pair is very likely here. Uh, they could have a weak queen. <clears throat> In terms of hands that we're worried about, um, I'm not too worried about any queen that beats us, so ace-queen. Um, I'm not worried about pocket kings or pocket aces here. I think that's unlikely when the villain calls pre-flop from the button so i'm not too worried about that the only thing i'm really worried about is an eight um so the villain calls we see a turn of another eight so the eight of hearts comes out um which takes a lot of eights out of our opponent's range uh just because there's only one specific eight that they can have in their hand um and also 
opens the door of any weaker queen now tying our hand. So we don't have a kicker, um, a kicker edge over our opponent. Uh, so with the full house on the turn, we decide to bet 3,000 chips. Again, I think this is fairly standard. We can check and try and induce a bluff of some sort, but I doubt our opponent is going to be bluffing with any sort of hand. Um, so I think a bet just is kind of good here in terms of trying to get value out of our opponent. Because uh, I could see them calling with, you know, those nines, tens, jacks types of hands. Our villain does call the hand, our, our, call our bet of 3,000. We go to the river, which is essentially meaningless. Not much can come on the river that's going to change how we feel about the hand. Uh, I guess if the fourth eighth eight comes out, then we're hoping our opponent doesn't have an ace. Um, but we see the three of diamonds. It essentially changes nothing. Um, and we're out of position here. And if we take a step back, we're kind of in a really weird spot <clears throat> because we can't show any... Um, we can't be passive here. If we're passive, the villain can really put pressure on us because uh, if we check, it essentially says we don't have an eight in our hand and our villain can raise to a very large amount if they have a queen to try and get us to fold a queen. Um, so it, it makes it really tough because we can't really check here and give them the line of aggression. Um, if we bet and get raised, we're in a really weird spot. And if we bet, we're not getting any worse hands than us to call. So all around a very weird spot. Um, ultimately, in the moment, I would definitely choose to bet. Uh, 6,000 seems about right. Uh, but then the villain raises us to 16,000. And again, this is where I was alluding to a villain can put a lot of pressure on us. If they have a queen here and they put us on not having an eight, they can raise to a very large amount and put pressure. Um, <clears throat> in, the, in the moment, there's no way I'm folding this, uh, but as I sit back and think about it, I really don't see the villain making a bluff or making a play here. Um, really, the bottom of their range is having a queen, and the top of their range is having an eight, and we are chopping at best. So it makes it really tough spot for us. Um, we definitely could have taken the line of check call. Um, bet fold on this river. It just seems so so sickening to want to do that, uh, but it might save us 10,000 chips. Um, like I said, ultimately I'd probably call, but again, just that weird spot that someone can put us in when they're in position. Um, so. Doug definitely had a tough spot here on the river. Uh, not sure exactly how to avoid these types of situations. It might be just a check call on the river after we've already gotten two streets of value. Um, so looking forward to what other wrecks as well as the pros have to say. So until next week, this is Taylor. This is Rob Washam with the February 3rd hand situation for wreck poker. As I read through this hand, I had to shuckle. I've been in this situation more than I would think I would should have statistically, and I usually play it poorly. When I've been in this situation in the past, I would play out the hand and forget about it. It's the first time that I've actually stopped to consider what the best course of action should be. 
My first impression was that Doug played the hand fine and just ran into a cooler. Well, let's break it down. Pre-flop, Doug decided to raise from the hijack to 2.75 big blinds, which seems very reasonable. The button decides to call. Button's range is very wide at this point. We can rule out the top 5% of hands as we would expect the leg to put in a 3-bet. Big blind calls, getting better than 3-1. to one. And again, we can rule out the premiums, ace-ace, king-king, queen-queen, and ace-king. The pot is now 4,000, or about 10 big blinds. On the flop, the big blind checks, and Doug bets 1,800, or about four and a half big blinds. I like the C bet. I would have probably bet 2,000 to 2,500, but 1,800 is fine. The button calls, and the big blind folds. So what does the button fall with? Well, let's say pocket pairs, uh, sixes to tens, hands with an ace or a king, ace X suited, king X suited hands, hands with a queen, let's say queen nine, queen 10, queen jack, king queen, hands that flop a gut shot like nine ten, nine jack, jack 10. And then lastly, hands with an eight, maybe six, eight, seven, eight, eight, nine, eight, ten. Um, so he's got a lot of a lot of possibilities, a lot of combinations there. Let's see, the turn brings another eight, giving Doug the full house. The pot is now seventy six hundred, and Doug bets three thousand. Again, his sizing I think is a little smaller than mine would be. Um but I, I like a bet in this spot. I think uh, most of the time you're going to be ahead and uh, you're going to get some value out of some of those hands that we talked about previously. Um, I think hands that are ace high or king high might stick around. Obviously, any queen, you're going to be chopping with any queen. And some of the pocket pairs uh, might still not believe you and hang around because they also have a full house at this time. So uh, we can eliminate, obviously, we talked about aces and kings, so we're not going to have a full house that beats us. But there could be some full houses out there. And, of course, any of those eights are still hanging around. So um I like the bet. Again, I like the bet in this spot, though. He gets the call and sees a blank in the river. Here's where Doug and I play this poorly. I believe I would have bet out just like Doug did. Pot is now 13600 and Doug bets 6000 Looking at the hand from this perspective, I have to ask what I'm trying to accomplish with this bet. What hands that I beat would call the river? I now think it would be better to check call in this spot. By checking, you're giving your opponent the opportunity to bluff and eliminate the possibility of facing a raise, a raise which you will have to call. May have saved a few shekels by checking the river. Thanks for this hand situation. I think I will play this differently the next time I face it. See you next week. Hey guys, this is Steve-O uh, with my input on another hand scenario for the Rec Poker Podcast. This week we have a player... Who raises from the hijack with king-queen, a little more than double the average chip stack. We're called by a loose, aggressive player ref uh, referred to as a villain, although I, we're all villains, so maybe that means maniac. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, this player calls from the button, 
And then the big blind also calls. Uh, I think it's important to note here that the button has our player out chipped. He's uh, 65,000 chips to um, 58,000 chips. The flop is going to come down 8-8 queen rainbow. And uh, our player is raised from the hijack with king-queen. We bet 1,800 and we're called by the button and the big blind folds. So I think the first thing we need to really think about here is is why did the button call? That's a pretty dry flop. Well, the button's calling because they have an eight, they have a queen, they have a hand like maybe nine, ten, or ten jack. Possibly they've got pocket nines, pocket tens, pocket jacks, although I, I think that would be pretty unlikely. Um, my guess a pocket pair under eights uh, is probably pretty tempted to fold this flop. Uh, anyway, we're called, and so uh, you know the our, our radar should be up. You know what what's really happening here. The turn brings another eights. So now that there's three eights on the board to go with the queen, so our king jack is filled. Um, but they still, you know, the, our player still can't beat an eight, obviously. And the other thing to think about here is, is what's the likelihood that the button has an eight, or even for that matter, the big blind ha- could have had an eight in his hand. I would say quite high. We've got a loose, aggressive player, you know, easily could be calling with a hand like, you know, a suited eight, nine, a suited eight, ten, uh, ace, eight, um, and also the big blind, you know, they're getting a great price to play any type of suited connecting, or maybe they just want to play connecting cards. Um, I think a, 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 a non-aggressive pot control type, uh, uh, action is, is probably the way to go. Um, anyway, now we bet our player bets 3000 and is called. Uh, to me that, play, you know, the King Queen's got a big problem on his hands at this point. Um, I think we can rule out the fact that we got called on the flop by the button with air, hoping to see what we're if if the king queen would, would check and maybe take that opportunity to to move in and steal a pot. Uh, there's no, I just don't see a scenario here where 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 that the button's going to call with air on the turn with that board. Um, it, you know, it, for this reason. We have a lot of chips. The king queen's got a lot of chips, and I don't think the button's going to risk a giant hand and risk losing a, most of his chips. You know, on a bluff, uh, I I just don't see it happening. Um, I'd say it's very likely that player has as an eight or a queen, probably an eight, um, and is just quite frankly happy letting the king queen bet his hand for him. The river's a blank, bet 6,000, raised to uh, 16,000. Uh, the king, 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 queen calls and loses. Um, I, I love the 16,000 bet. It's, it's a perfect bet sizing to, to get a call. Um, you know, a lot of mistakes going on here. And I think, you know, we're going to hear a lot of input from the other players and it's all going to go pretty much the same way. So I would say, I'm going to take go off in a, a little bit direction here. Real quick, when I'm at a table 
and there's a loose, aggressive player or a maniac, whatever term you type to lose, I try to really pay attention to that player because everyone playing, you know, a tight, you know, ABC poker, it's not hard to figure those players out. Um, the loose, aggressive players are the player that really should have your attention. I like to break them up into two categories. Are they a true maniac, winning and losing huge pots, um, seemingly no rhyme or reason, uh, playing recklessly, um, you know, and we see players like that. And I think those players are, are great players to try and trap um, because they will pay you off. Or, you know, pay a little more attention. And are they playing a lot of hands? Yes. But is there a method to the madness um, is how I kind of like to put it. Meaning, you know, they're going to be in a lot of hands. They're going to be winning and losing a lot of hands. But are they losing small pots and winning big pots and constantly advancing their stack? That's a much more formidable opponent and one you certainly need to be aware of. Um, you know, and a player like that, too, is usually capable of laying their, their hand down if they need to. Um, pay attention to that. The other thing is, is paired boards on the flop when you don't have a part of it. I tend to be pretty leery of this situation, especially in maybe not so much heads up in, 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 if, if there's three or more players. And then you really have to think about, is it probable that one of those you know, two players could have flopped trips? Um, in this situation, I think it's highly probable that either the big blind or the button could have flopped trips. And it has, you know, and it has that king queen in just terrible shape. Um, you know, you got you got to put people on hands. You got to think about it. Um, anyway, that's uh, just some things I like to think about when I'm when I'm, you know, playing against players like that or or in a hand like that. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. Have a great day. Bye bye. Okay, thanks guys. Let's take a quick break here to once again thank our official sponsor, Running Aces, and then we'll be back with thoughts from Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Hello, this is Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com, and today we have a hand where we are playing... Level six of day one, with 12 levels played in day one. So I'm gonna be nitpicky about this question because there's a lot of information that's irrelevant. And this is completely irrelevant. The level of the tournament does not matter. The hand number of the tournament does not matter. A lot of these things are completely irrelevant and let's not even discuss them. All right, 58,000 chips, blinds are 200, 400 with a 50 ante. Average is 24,000. Okay, again, average does not matter. What matters is how many effective big blinds deep we are playing against our opponent, or if the rest of the table is like really short, say the rest of the table has 10,000 chips, because in that case, that should affect your opening range, right? All right, your table image is tight aggressive. The table is very tight aggressive, except for the button, I'm sorry, the loose aggressive player with 65,000 chips. Okay, so you raise from the hijack to 1,100 with king of spades, queen of clubs, villain on the button calls. So this is the only loose aggressive player. Big blind calls too. 
Flop comes queen, eight, eight. No suits. Big blind checks, you bet 1,800. So the pot here is about 3,600. I would definitely bet smaller. This is a situation where you should have relatively few eights in your range and your opponents could both easily have eights. But at the same time, you should probably have a range advantage. So you should definitely bet frequently in this spot. But if you do bet, it should be small. Because when you're against an eight, you want to minimize your losses. And against all the other stuff, your opponents are drawing pretty thin. If you do have one of the strong hands, which you happen to this time. So I bet something like 1400 or 1200 um, I'm trying to think if there's ever a time you want to bet bigger. The main time you want to bet bigger is if your opponents are just straight up calling stations. But that's not mentioned. But you say they're actually tight. So that's a reason for you to bet small. It lets you bluff way cheaper as well. So I like that idea of betting frequently here. You can bet with all sorts of garbage. And it's not so costly if you're betting 1100 All right. Villain smooth calls. All right. I don't know what a smooth call necessarily means. Actually, I do. It means they called. Um, try to not add extra words for no good reason. And right here, I would say that a smooth call is no different than a call. I'm not actually even sure what a smooth call means, if it is any different than a call. If it is different than a call, feel free to correct me, but I don't know the difference. All right, big blind folds. Turns another eight, giving you a boat. That's good. You bet 3,000 and the opponent calls. So now the pot is, um, let's see, it was 35 plus another six. So it's about, um, I'm sorry, not plus another six, plus another three. So it's about 6,500 and you bet 3,000. Same story as before. At this point, you are representing clearly a very strong range of mostly full houses. So if you're betting mostly full houses, you wanna bet on the small side, your opponent's gonna be drawing either dead or chopping or very, very thin. So when that's the case, you wanna bet on the small side because you have them crushed. Unless you're bluffing with all sorts of hands, but I don't really think this is a good bluff spot. Maybe it's a good bluff spot. As you bet smaller on the flop, it becomes a better bluff spot because you keep your opponent's range wide. When you bet 1800 on the flop, it forces your opponent to have something to continue. So that makes it a worse bluff spot. Therefore, you should have fewer bluffs. As you can see, like the, the way you play the hand earlier really changes how you should play the hand later. Like if you bet small on the flop here, I'd be all for betting somewhat big as a bluff. Now, I understand your half pot bet is not particularly big, but I would advocate even something like 2,000 on this turn. All right, river's a three. So a complete blank. You decide to bet 6,000 into what is now about 12,500. Again, when you bet 6,000, what is your opponent going to call with now? Is your opponent really a huge calling station and gonna call with pocket threes or pocket fours or pocket sixes? Probably not unless he's terrible. Maybe he's terrible. You know, you didn't mention if he's good or bad. Um, so in this spot, I would either check or bet bigger. And it, when I'm betting bigger, that allows me to bluff with more of my bluffs. Kind of like I just mentioned, if I did bet small on the flop, medium on the turn and big on the river, I think that'd actually be a pretty sweet spot to bluff. Assuming you thought your opponent would raise some queens and eights earlier. Although I don't think a good player is going to raise a queen or an eight. So the opponent raises a 16,000. That's pretty brutal. Um, you have to put in 10 to likely chop. I don't really see the opponent bluffing here very often, although maybe they do. Typically when people bluff, they bet, they bluff bigger. 10,000 on top into a pot that is now 12 plus 12 is 24, 34. So 10 into 34. Yeah, this guy's probably not bluffing too often. So you're putting in 10 to win 17 or zero. This is a crappy spot. Um, 
I don't know. You can never fault someone for calling with nearly the top of their range. The question though is, is this the top of your range? Well, you would certainly play aces and kings in the same manner and pocket queens. So even though you do have the quote unquote top full house, it's not really the top full house. So I'm not going to say you should fold this, but just be aware that this is not actually the top of your range. And if you actually sit down and look at your range, are you really bluffing here that often? Certainly you're not value betting worse. So this may actually be the bottom of your range. And if this is the bottom of your range, you should at least consider folding it because otherwise you're calling with everything. And if you're calling with everything, well, that makes your opponent's strategy really easy. Just raise when he has the nuts, right? So you do decide to call. Opponent shows the nuts and you lose. He has an eight. So the question is, how should the opponent have played his hand? Well, he has 9-8 offsuit, so clearly he shouldn't call on the button. That's a horrible call. He's going to lose money for sure doing that unless his opponents are particularly weak. He should either 3-bet or fold this hand pre-flop. On the flop, I think he has a pretty easy call. If there was a suit on the board, it was queen 8-8 eight, eight with no suits. If there was a flush draw available, I would definitely like raising. But with no flush draw, I think calling's fine. Once you keep betting on the turn, that's great. I mean, you're just clearly drawing dead or nearly dead. On the river, you bet again. I maybe would even raise a little bit bigger just because when you go bet, 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 you probably have, like I said, aces, kings, queens, or queen. Does anyone really fold aces, kings, queens, or a queen? Probably not. I'm not exactly sure how close you were to all in. So we have 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. You're all, this is 22,000 chips out of your 58,000. So yeah, I think he could have justified raising a little bit bigger. So I think he probably left a bit of money on the table. If he thinks that when you go bet, bet, bet here, you have a queen or a better every time and you're not folding a queen, he can actually make a big raise. Maybe even all in. I think all in would be too much, but maybe 26,000. Because if you're just never folding, then clearly going all in prints money. So maybe he could have raised a little bit bigger. But beyond that, I like his, I like his strategy of calling flop, calling turn. That's perfectly fine. But preflop is also a bit too loose. Anyway, though, main takeaway from this hand is that on the river, you probably have the bottom of your range. And if you have the bottom of your range, you should at least consider folding, especially if your opponent knows you're strong and also doesn't think you'll fold very often to a raise. Because if he thinks you're not going to fold very often to a raise, well, then clearly he's not bluffing. That's why it's important to have bluffs in your range, because then your opponent doesn't know if you're folding to a raise, and that puts him in a much worse spot. So that's it. This has been Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you to Doug Behrens for submitting that hand scenario. We'll have another one from Doug next week as well. Uh, that's just really appreciated. Thanks to our recreational players who submitted audio, and thanks to Jonathan Little for uh, being constantly giving us great insight uh, from the eyes of a professional. Uh, again, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a comment. If you have other feedback, uh, topic suggestions, hand situations, reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or email me at stevefredland at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody.